Brother Neil Fraser in the house. Yes, we are a few minutes, moments later, hands to straighten some things up to bring you a better period presentation. And I'm just so glad this, these weeks are so short because we ha have to get to the teachings. Two days ago on Monday, <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we had the other going on. I'm just so glad that you're back, brother, in good health and in good spirits with the motivation to educate and feed our people on a mental, spiritual, and also physical level. Because when your spirit is good and your mind is good, you eat less bad food. You smoke less bad things. That's you true. take less alcohol because you have something to bite on, to ponder, that truly yeah. feeds you. Because those other things are just cheap substitutes because you know you're lacking with the things that you need to resonate in your soul. So that being said... I'm here. I'm orchestrating in the background. I'm sweeping the floors and making sure the toilet paper's full in the bathroom and anything else <laughs> needs. I'm just a maintenance dude, but you're the teacher. And while I sweep, I'm going to be listening to you and absorbing and elevating myself as the janitor. All right. Well, Brother Lance, you know, uh, you, we had a little turbulence today. But uh, as always, I knew you were going to, you know, get it right. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, <laughs> the presentation is everything, right? And that's why it's good to work with, you know, people who don't settle for just anything. So, you know, I, I appreciate the efforts putting it together. And, uh, yeah, so how, how are you doing? You doing all right? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm deep in a meditative, not even state, the days uh -huh. of meditation, waking up to it, going to sleep in it. Just being still, catching the sunlight, yeah. making the sunlight yeah. hit me on parts of my body that other people don't get a chance, an opportunity to have. Being still, thinking thoughts, putting my feet in the soil, reading things that are edifying to me, thinking things that are edifying, sharpening the blades for whatever battles come up because they're going to be the victor and the winner. <laughs> and just having that I just have not been able to do in America and even just coming here. Right. So it's on a whole yeah. level. I'm appreciative of that. And... I'm just elevated right now, and everything is you in sound sync. Like, you know, you you can hear it in your voice. Like, you know, you <laughs> sound elevated, motivated, reaching for the sky. And, you yes. know, what's interesting is, is that uh, that energy right there is what the, uh, they are always trying to block us from. And uh, all kinds of things will come at you at uh, any given time. I'll share something real quick before I go into the uh, presentation. Sure. Um, and again, I want to I want to greet you, Brother Lance, and everybody in the chat room, the family. And I'm glad that we are uh, here today on the day of the Dreamer. And uh, so, about a year ago, yeah. I uh, <clears throat> I was out, you know, by my little spot with the river and everything and the trees. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and uh, I look across the riverbank, and I saw like, I don't think it was real, it wasn't real, matter of fact, but I saw like a white horse with this long blonde hair mm -hmm. galloping towards me like real fast. Wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking, and the closer it got to me, it was a woman's face on the horse. Wow. And I was like, wow, uh, where did this come from? And sometimes, you know, I have visions like that when, you know, when I'm sitting out in nature and just looking at things and close my eyes. And uh, so a long story short, that uh, 
that uh, horse and that woman's face manifested itself in my life. And the funny thing about it, it came, you know, I, I, I like to help people. Sometimes I like, I, I need to restrain myself because you can't help everybody. But, you know, again, that energy comes to remind you, like you said, to sharpen the blade, that you can never let your guards down. Because, there you, go. you know, that energy is constantly coming at you in any kind of way it can. Never but, yeah, stops. um, it never stops, brother. It never stops. But, uh, yeah, today is uh, a, a very high day for me because when I look back at our ancestors, that's, that's where I draw my strength from. And mm -hmm. although I see the same spirit in a brother like you, um, one of the things that we don't do is we don't celebrate our, our uh, black prophets that have gone before us and that have really paved the way for us to have some type of vision. So I, I uh, one of the things I'm very aware of is, uh, like everything else, all of our perceptions and comprehensions about things come from the Bible. I'm not going to try. I'm not here to talk about religion today, but I want to put a different spin on what we know as uh the term prophet or the title prophet um, because black prophets are unique in the sense that, uh, well, there are several reasons why. And um, as we go through the text, I'll point out, I'll do a bio on each one of these black prophets, what they were facing. Um, I'm not going to get too much into, you know, the Europeanized history of it. We know that, but we're just going to celebrate our brothers for the sacrifices that they made for us and for the prophetic uh, energy that and spirit that they left us. And uh, what better day to do, to do that on the day that we celebrate a real king and modern day prophet, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So uh, we're, we're going to celebrate Marcus Garvey, Medgar Evers, uh, Malcolm X, of course, Martin Luther King, and then Marvin Gaye, because uh, these are the people's prophets. And uh, sometimes we fail to realize that prophets uh, also speak through their music. Um, <clears throat> Gil Scott Heron, Curtis Mayfield, Earth, Wind & Fire. If you listen to the lyrics in their songs, all of them, are, are not only prophetic, but they also continue this uh, energy that our brothers today brought to the world. So, as always, I just want to run down a few uh, topics that we'll focus on, and then we'll go into uh, celebrating our black prophets. Um, first, what is, a, what is a prophet, and why are they sent to us? Uh, what is their message to us? And what does that message mean? Uh, prophets also sacrifice their lives to bring us their message. Mm -hmm. uh, their message is always specific to a people and their struggle. Why are prophets necessary? 
What happens when we fail to heed their warnings? What are the special characteristics that prophets possess? And the last characteristic that exists in all of these great men is they are always rejected by the system. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about the black prophets before we actually deal with their individual uh, bios. But um, the prophet is spiritually and psychologically connected with natural laws. Um, they, they know the different signs that exist in nature and also in the social uh, environment in which they live. And, and that, one of the things that separated black prophets from all other prophets is <clears throat> that they were social justice warriors. We're going to, we're going to talk about that because that characteristic, um, is not consistent with other people that we see or we've been taught that are prophets. And, and, uh, I'll explain that a little more, but, uh, they also operate at a high vibratory rate and they display an energy of higher consciousness or the butterfly energy. So as I was just mentioning, uh, the deception about the undefiled person or the perfect religious person as being the characteristic trait of the chosen, of course, that's based on the biblical narratives that we all were raised on. But a true prophet, as I said before, particularly uh, black prophets that we're going to look at today, um, they were overwhelmingly driven by social injustice. This is something we see in uh, all five of these black prophets that actually lived and walked amongst us. And that they, uh, they always found some social injustice that they focused on. And the majority of the time, a lot of their battle was not just against, you know, the standard people that fight against black people, whether it's in the government, whether it's in, uh, you know, just regular organizations. But they tend to be surrounded always by some type of conflict uh, that most of the time has been manufactured. Okay, what is the legacy of these five black prophets? Now, uh, there's a difference between, actually between prophecy and a prophet. Sometimes a uh, prophet can be the fulfillment of prophecy themselves. This was something uh, I ran across, you know, just looking at the different character traits of the five individuals that, that we're talking about. Um, yeah, sometimes that prophet is a fulfillment of a prophecy that went before him or her. Uh, also, uh, as I mentioned before, prophets comprehend the law of natural karma and divine retribution. Um, as we mentioned earlier with our brother Lance, uh, they have a sense of urgency. You know, their, their message 
is in the daily passion that they live by. And also I mentioned that uh, we have musical prophets as well. Another one that uh, I actually saw in, in, uh, at this place called the Blue House in D.C., uh, one of my favorites, Gil Scott Heron. And uh, his music, we know, especially the album Winter in America and the Revolution Will Not Be Televised. They were um, battle cry songs, you know, during that era that we all related to. Uh, a few other things about uh, black prophets. We feel the legacy of their spirit. You know, we feel it in our world today. That's something we're going to cover when we go through the individual bios. Um, but and, and their spirits are very strong. Okay, because we still make comparisons to them whenever we look at some uh, <clears throat> serious issues facing black people. Uh, so as as I said earlier, you know, we have been we have been taught in religion that uh, prophets are highly religious people and only speak and act according to religious fervor. And this is where we miss a lot of the people, places and things we're supposed to be connected to because we're looking for people that were created through narratives, not what is actually being presented to us. So as I said before, you could pass a homeless person in the street, and that person is someone that has a major key that can unlock something in your life. So, um, and, and when you look at each of these um, black prophets, the real truth is that uh, they are social justice warriors, okay? That's what they are. Um, you know, their message is timeless. It transcends time. Um, the other thing is, uh, the prophet moves against the status quo and their energy affects the social climate in which they live. Um, each and every prophet is rejected, as I said earlier, by the system that they live in and, and also they're demonized. And, uh, in the majority of cases, you know, they end up shamed before the world because they had such a tremendous effect on the people and fought uh, victoriously against governmental propaganda that they were always demonized and shamed before the world. And their legacy uh, was tainted in some way. So, you know, we see this pattern. Even today, when we have brothers, uh, you know, and, you know, Lance is always one of my favorite uh, people to use as an example, because a lot of times, you know, we have people right in front of us, but for some crazy reason, we don't want to acknowledge their characteristics that are helpful to us. <clears throat> but um, prophets are not just predictors of future events. But they are energy conduits as well, okay? They actually channel the energy from the creator, creative spirit, its source, to the people. Uh, as I said earlier, prophets can uh, 
actually read the signs in the universe and on the planet. Their lives resonate through the generations, their, their lives and their messages uh, resonates through the generations of a people. And as I said earlier, it transcends time. Their lives, uh, <clears throat> there is always a major conflict, as I mentioned earlier, that surrounds their lives. But we know this to be the law of polarity. So, uh, okay, Brother Lance, if you could show the picture of uh, Medgar Evers. Um, sure. Okay. My man, Medgar Evers. Um, this is a, you know, the incredible thing about black prophets like Medgar Evers is that they had a tremendous amount of courage. <laughs> okay, this is this is something we see um, with all of these black prophets. Uh, it was almost like they were immune to the threats, which which we know as human beings we are not. Okay, but there was something about this brother. And I remember uh, when I first became aware of him, I was about maybe 10 years old, and uh, one of my brothers, uh, Medgar Evers, was like an idol to him, a hero, to a lot of, to a lot of people at that time. And uh, so he had a book about Medgar Evers' life, and uh, I just happened to pick it up one day and start reading it. Um, let's give a little brief bio on uh, Medgar Evers. Um, and again, this is the energy that Dr. King's spirit brings for black people, not just black people, but all the people in this nation, because he was a moral voice to all people. Okay. But um, the thing that we see about their spirits is it still lingers on. But this brother, they, for some reason, want to hide in history. By the way, he had a uh, wife that, and, and here's the other thing, too. Um, men like Megar Evers, usually their wife or someone in their family picks up the uh, battle cry, okay, or picks up the torch. And, and continue. That is how strong their energy and spirit is to us. So, uh, Meg Evers was born in, uh, 1925 and we know he was assassinated in 1963. He was the former, uh, NAACP secretary and first field director in Mississippi. Now, that alone, <laughs> That alone tells you uh, who this man was, because if you you talk about Mississippi now, but if you go back in the history of Mississippi, it's not pretty, especially for black people. And uh, Medgar Evers had served in the United States military. And, you know, when he came home, he saw that nothing had really changed. He got all these black soldiers dying on foreign soil, you know, but. He came home, and his people are still in the same condition. They're sharecroppers. So basically, they're enslaved people that are not in physical chains. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, 
So what what Medgar Evers did, and and you know again, I made the statement that they are the right people at the right time, because even at first his wife, as I was saying, she carried on his legacy. Merle Evers, great lady. Um, the thing about Medgar Evers is he was willing to leave his his wife for this decision. And when they were discussing it, he she said, well, you have to make a decision between me and other people and your children and other people. And he looked at her. She said, he said, no, you have to make a decision because this is what I was born for. And uh, that was a powerful statement. But uh, so, yeah, he was a former NAACP secretary. He was very instrumental in um, organizing boycotts against uh, discriminating white merchants, and he was uh, instrumental in the uh, efforts to desegregate the University of Mississippi. Now, you know, when a brother is this powerful where he's threatened by the governor of a state that he was making inroads. But the thing that Mega ever saw like all prophets are able to see the signs. He saw his people in the condition that they were in. Most of them were illiterate, as we know they were forbidden on pain of death for reading and learning how to write. So um, he took it upon himself, okay, to go out. He was also an insurance person, but he would go out and try to register people to get on a petition in order that they may change things in the uh, public school system at that time, okay, because the black schools didn't have anything, you know, mainly just the Bible. Um, but, and then they had to have someone preaching that to them. They couldn't study it or read it or use any cross-references. So he, he went out and he began to face a lot of challenges. Uh, one of the things that he began to face is when he would use insurance to go out like he was going to talk to people. And he went where, you know, 90 percent of black people worked for white people. So he would go there like he was trying to sell insurance. And then he would see the black person knowing they were there. So he was a, a, a brother that was smart. You know, he knew what he was up against. So he used his intelligence to get to, and that's how our people had to operate um, during that time. But he was threatened every time that he did. And he just, uh, I, I like to call courage under fire because he was under fire every single day. Um, and so when we talk about Medgevers, uh, we see that a prophet is someone who has to be chosen by the creator to de deliver a specific message to a specific people at a specific and for a specific time. And uh, Medgevers, uh, his message to us and to the world, which we are forever grateful for him. Uh, 
that black folks needed to be educated. They needed to learn how to read and write if they were ever going to move forward, okay, out of that sharecropper um, situation they were in. And he gave his life for this. He believed in this. Um, one of the things that happened when he began to get people to sign the petitions is, you know, the same playbook that they always use. They threatened the black people that was working to, you know, the fact that they would lose their jobs. Many of them threatened the banks would foreclose on their mortgages. Okay. And, and those two things alone are not, is enough to give somebody cold feet. Um, but to their credit, black folks stuck together. Then. And, you know, and when you hear things like people saying at all costs, they stuck together at all costs. Because what they were, fa they, uh, were facing, uh, some of them got murdered. Okay. And what they did uh, as a final act to intimidate them was they put all of their names in the paper, <laughs> where they lived, where they worked. And so this is why when you see a man like Medgar Evers, we have to give this brother his props today. He deserves it. There should be more about him taught to black children in the history books. Unfortunately, uh, he is not spoken of. But he was the first male uh, image of strength. Now, I wouldn't say the first one. but the one, one of the first ones to challenge a state. Okay, and uh, it was transforming for our people. Um, the other thing, um, there are three things, okay, that this message usually does or has its purposes. Um, number one is to identify a threat, a direct threat against their people. Number two is to warn their people against not acting against this threat. That message still uh, resonates today. And uh, thirdly, the consequences of not heeding their warning. Um, also, with their lives, uh, they always show us that we must be proactive. And he basically told the people during that time is you have to learn to read or write. Because uh, if you don't read or write, then you're going to be forever stuck in this condition. And that was a prophecy that our people heeded. Um, our people began to heed that and started to focus on learning now. Learning a language that was used to enslave us and then taking that language. And this takes real tremendous power. That's why, you know, I, when I look at, I'm so proud when I look back at our people for what, what they have accomplished. And sadly today, we haven't taught our young people how to pick up that torch. And, and that's going to be a severe mistake that we that are living in this time have made and continue to make. But um, just to wind it down with him, uh, also, his life was always constantly under threat. Uh, yet, as I said, he was willing to sacrifice his life for his people. And this is what I was saying about black prophets, is that 
we don't give them enough credit. You know, people focus on, you know, these are men. These are not gods or deities. They are faults. They are vices like all of us. And uh, if you look into any one of our past, you can find something that you can demonize. That's very easy to do. But again, you know, we're here today from the spirit of the king. Of course, we know this is just the system's uh, day to celebrate him. But we know that um, that spirit is still alive today. Martin Luther King's spirit is alive today. And it was men like Medgar Evers um, all, who also gave Dr. Uh, King um, the courage to go forward. Um, another thing, uh, Emmett Till was killed during this time. Um, <clears throat> so the other thing, two things about him and about prophets, black prophets, uh, they're necessary, okay? Because as I said before, they give us the courage to act in the face of overwhelming opposition, the law of polarity. And, and this is what they understood, the divine laws. As a matter of fact, if he didn't get that opposition, he knew that something was wrong. Um, and he led by action. That, that's the other thing. Um, the struggle against tyranny in the school board, Mississippi, uh, you know, again, was a tremendous fight. You know, I take my hats off to this brother. Um, what I know about the climate at that time and uh, what they were faced with. I, you know, I have tremendous courage, uh, tremendous respect for this brother. Okay, uh, Brother Lance, we're going to talk about um, Malcolm X. <laughs> we'll talk about Malcolm now, my man. Uh, yeah, uh. Actually, I had heard Malcolm mention, mention Medgar Evers once um, in one of his speeches when he was uh, talking about what our people were facing in Mississippi and other southern cities and their quest to be educated. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Malcolm was a, a fascinating man. Okay. Uh, very inspirational. Um, one of the things that uh, all black prophets possess, there are several things, um, characteristics. They possess special characteristics in the sense that they are visionaries. Okay. They have courage. Uh, they have conviction. They speak truth to power. They are inspirational. Okay, almost like at a, a spiritual level. And uh, the love for their people and the passion they have for their people supersedes anything else in their lives. That is the dominant force. Um, so, you know, Malcolm, uh, of course, was uh, the national spokesman for the Nation of Islam at one time. I remember some of his uh, most powerful speeches. Um, but he rose to prominence in Harlem, New York. Uh, his, uh, father, interestingly, was, uh, a follower of Marcus Garvey's, uh, teachings and was murdered by the KKK because of it. 
Uh, and uh, if you read Malcolm's autobiography, uh, which is fascinating, uh, it's, actually his autobiography had an effect on uh, two generations of men, my brothers in those generation and in my generation. And then, you know, several other ones. But Malcolm was a titan. And uh, this brother is falsely um, accused of things. Malcolm loved people. But again, we have a problem that when any time black men stand up for themselves, then they're seen as a threat by the system, which he was. Um, his family was separated after his father was murdered. Uh, and they went to different, uh, different, uh, adoption homes or adopted homes. And, uh, they, they tried to stay together as much as they could. But, um, Malcolm was, uh, very, you could see the intelligence as, as a kid, as a child. Um, he tells a story about how, um, they tell a story about how Malcolm, uh, said that he uh, wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, the white teacher told him that that's not a good profession for, you know, a Negro. Uh, Malcolm uh, actually became, uh, after uh, he went to prison, changed his life, he became a warrior prophet for his people. Now, this is uh, undisputed. He, uh, the things that Malcolm did, he, he warned our people about the wickedness of the system and exposed their di the diabolical plot to eliminate the gains of black people. And Malcolm was one of the first uh, persons to actually explain how the system uh, works against black people. Um, he, he, he laid it out. He, he exposed the different traps they have. Uh, but most of all, he uh, attacked their hypocrisy in terms of the religion that black people were raised on, but yet the spirit of it was uh, totally opposite of what our people have been taught and what they believe. So he, he began to bring this issue to the forefront, which was very critical because it moved our people it moved the needle psychologically for our people over a little bit on the gas tank <laughs> okay and uh he did it in a way where you know people were threatened by the mere fact that he was a man that was not afraid to speak truth to power and also to um speak truth for our people um, the, the other thing that Malcolm did, um, he, he actually was one of the first people to break down this dynamic with the house Negro and the field Negro. I would say the other word, but uh, 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 I'll just use that terminology. And he did a masterful job explaining to us how this, how this, these two different titles and characteristics um, affected black people and he's spot on with that. The field Negro house Negro is one of the greatest uh, comparisons to uh, the social ills that black people have now or, or analysis. 
because we clearly see that in everything that we we still do. Um, Malcolm also uh, expanded the message of black people worldwide. And um, it was at this time when uh, he began to deal with social injustices of black people in the North that he began to attract the attention of, you know, organizations and, uh, you know, the uh, alphabet boys when the uh, counter intel pro programs began to affect our people more on a deeper level because um, they would send, uh, that's when they be begin to send informants into black organizations, which was the black organizations during that time were very strong. Because again, black people were united because of the things that the social um, ills and the tyranny that they had to face every day. But um, Malcolm made us uh, understand something that there are black people that will take silver and gold and sell us out. That, that's just a fact. That's something we have to live with. We know them as coons. They're the ones that the system uses to continue to oppress our people psychologically and in, in a lot of other, well, in all areas of human activity, like uh, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson explained to us and Dr. France Fanon explained this social dynamic to us. But it was Mike, uh, it was Malcolm X who made us look at this dynamic closer. Because, you know, this is where a lot of the um, issues, trust issues that black people still currently have uh, came from. Because um, the, the house Negro would watch the black, the field hands, field Negro, where the slave masters didn't have to watch them. And they would report every single thing if they pick up a damn piece of fruit off the floor or anything. It was the house Negroes, well, let's call it for it was the house niggers, that would be the one that goes back and informs. So even this whole, uh, this whole thing about informing, you know, young people call it snitching, but it, it's actually is what it is. So this, they begin to use this now to infiltrate our organizations, and Malcolm called them out. So, uh, you know, they don't like to give Malcolm his just due in the system. Um, but one of the reasons why they don't is because there is still a fear of an independently thinking black male. Okay, that image right there, they fear that. Uh, in the same sense that someone like Mike Tyson, they fear that image. So they will do whatever they can to either soften that image or just not show that image at all. Very seldom now do you see any, any pictures of Malcolm, a, a brilliant brother, um, like uh, Ozzie Davis said in his eulogy, uh, uh, Black Shining Prince, that did not uh, hesitate 
to give his life for us. I love this brother. Um, I love him. Because if it wasn't for Malcolm, there the people that came uh, after Malcolm, the young ministers and the, the young people that had to um, deal with this, with our social ills, they no longer had these fears, okay? And Malcolm was the reason for that. So we, we celebrate. I get always get a little emotional when I talk about uh, Malcolm and, and some of our, our brothers, our black uh, prophets. But, uh, yeah, it was because of him that black men now begin to start speaking up for themselves. Like, okay, something is not right here. Uh, we need to talk about this, okay? Can we talk? Because we see you're, you have our people preaching things to our people, but yet the fruits of that, and this is why nature teaches us when to know if something is a uh, right harvest or a wrong harvest. Because using the scriptures, you shall know them by their fruit. Now, it, you know, again, you can look at, at an apple tree and see that. Like I said before, if I see an orange or oranges growing on an apple tree, I know something is wrong with that. So when I see how our people have been treated, how they're still being treated, but yet you say you believe in a God of mercy and justice and love, but that's against nature's teachings because we don't see the fruits of that. So anyway, uh, Brother Lance, thank you. You can, uh, you can put up Marcus Garvey now. Yeah, there he is. The Jamaican king. He, uh, very controversial, uh, figure. Uh, even with some of, uh, our leading intellectuals in this country, uh, W.B. Du Bois was, uh, the main one who opposed Marcus Gavi. Um, but again, we, we wanna, we don't wanna get into those types of things. We just want to celebrate our black prophets and talk about their message and sacrifices to our people uh, in the spirit of the dreamer today. Uh, Marcus Garvey uh, was born in Jamaica in 1887. Uh, a Brit, man, I, you know, you just had, it, it would take a whole day to actually talk about Marcus Garvey. Uh, this brother was a visionary like no other. When it comes to, to economics, and one of the things I learned from Marcus Garvey's life is this is the problem that we have as men, as black men, when it comes to organizing things and working together, is the head nigga in charge syndrome. We have an issue with that. And see, we, we think that one person is the do-all of everything. No, it's not. It's not set up that way. Each person has a specific gift that we're all supposed to bring to the table, okay, to, in order to build together. 
Um, and uh, this brother here really showed that uh, he was a visionary. He built the largest economic movement in the history of black people. Uh, there were some things about his childhood I, I really don't need to go into. Um, but one of the things, oh, excuse me, one of the um, things that um, drove him to want to be this visionary leader for black people, economic leader, was mm, when he read uh, Booker T. Washington's uh, book, Up From Slavery, which is a powerful book. But this was a turning point in his life. And uh, so let's look at some of the things that he did, okay, uh, which at the time and even to, to this day is, is unprecedented. Um, he formed, founded and for, formed and founded the United Negro Improvement Association, which had 500 offices around the world. Uh, he also founded the uh, Negro World Newspaper that had over 300,000 followers or what we know as subscribers today. And during this time, this was fascinating because the mediums of, um, you know, putting out information was nowhere near what it is today. Um, but the, the biggest thing that he did, and when he began to draw the attention of those that always oppose our strong brothers and our black prophets, was he founded the Black Star Line in 1919, um, which was uh, a fleet of uh, ships. And he had this vision that black people could travel around the world. They could set up their own, you know, it was a great vision. This is one of the greatest visions, not just for a black man, for any man, for that matter, uh, one of the greatest black prophets to ever live. He actually envisioned this world for, uh, primarily for Africans, but people throughout the diaspora. Okay. And, uh, not only did he envisioned it, he actually brought, manifested everything that he envisioned. Um, so, as a result of starting this uh, shipping company, uh, and of course we know there was um, some efforts to sabotage him. Um, there's talk about a lot of the boats were not properly maintained or, you know, they weren't in good operating condition. But see, again, one man is not supposed to do all those things. He had the vision to set this up. Had there been black men, or women for that matter, to help with the maintenance aspect of it, and they gave him a lot of money. I don't, I don't mean it in that way. But if there were people who would step up and say, hey, look, you know, we'll help maintain the boats, because certainly our people had this ability and skill during that time. Okay. So there were some things you could see where, you know, Here's a man that had a vision that black people had never even thought was possible, but he needed help, okay, to keep the ships maintained. Um, there was someone who was working on his behalf 
that was um, spending like two or three times the amount of what the boats cost and then getting a kickback. So it's a lot of different things that we deal with um, in our world as black people and where a lot of these uh, trust issues come from. Okay. So, um, so, so what they did was, because again, back then, uh, they didn't have black agents, but they had informants to infiltrate black organizations. So that's what they did, uh, with the United Negro Improvement Association that was started by Marcus Garvey that became worldwide. And, uh, what he showed us, his message showed us that black people have the ability to not only envision things, but also to put them in motion. But of course, we know that that system that's set up here, okay, the feudal system is that if you don't, you okay, you can buy a car, but it, it can be repossessed, okay? So our people um, not being that astute during that time of how these economic games are played, they ran into some problems sustaining it. But but again, his message and his manifestations showed black people that not only do we have the ability to envision, we can actually do this for self. And uh this was, uh, I believe, the greatest legacy that Marcus Garvey um, left us. A few other things about Marcus Garvey. Uh, a whole lot of things. But a few other things is uh, that Marcus Garvey believed in an eye for an eye, you know, the chief for a tooth. He didn't believe in, uh, like, you know, turn the other cheek and that type of mentality. because. As he said, I'm a man just like you. If you are going to try to take my life, then I have every right, okay, to defend that. Um, and so there was an event that happened in uh, East St. Louis that caused a riot. And uh, he became controversial because uh, he called for a violent response of black people against this and to meet this aggression with aggression. And so this is when um, Jagger Hoover and those became um, leery of him because now you're talking about someone that has the economic wherewithal to back up a lot of this stuff he's saying. So this is where he became a threat and this is when they began to focus on him. Um, uh, in, in 1923, as, again, because he didn't have the help that he needed, you know, and this is something that happens with us today. You know, our people, for whatever reason, want to come against each other. I know the reason, okay? We know how we've been taught. But this brother showed us that this is possible. And I remember a story, I hope I get the statistics right, but it was about the uh, five-minute mile, uh, I mean four-minute mile mark. 
that had never been broken. And there was this uh, tall, lanky white guy named Roger Bannister. And uh, he went out and he broke that record, the four-minute mile. It, it had never been done before. And, you know, one of the things, too, with psychological enslavement is that, or a 90-degree angle, like I like to call it, is that it takes away your belief in the vision that you have. Because, you know, black people have a vision, okay? Many of us have visions. It's the implementation of the, those visions that we have not mastered. It's almost like if you're a coach and you have players, you can have the best game plan in the world, but you got to have players that implement that. And if they don't, if those players don't buy into that, guess what? <laughs> it don't mean it ain't worth the paper that it's written on or the blackboard, wherever you write it on. I just write mine on paper. So, but this brother showed us that um, this this is very possible for black people to organize, uh, not just in America, but worldwide. But uh, to wrap up with Marcus Garvey, in 1923, okay, uh, he went into debt because because of some of the issues I was talking about with the the um, the uh, liner, the Black Star Line, uh, and there was betrayal on, you know, some of the people that became envious of him, of, of, you know, again, we have this issue, the head nigga in charge syndrome, that had he had the right backing, then who knows? I heard somebody say, uh, who knows what black people would be today, what kind of a nation we would be today had we backed Marcus Garvey. It had enough of us. Now, there are almost a, a, there were millions of black people that you know believed in Marcus Garvey, but the ones who had the ability, much like today, to support him, refused to. The regular people, okay, or I'll use the uh, analogy of the field Negroes, they had all the love for Marcus Garvey, but they didn't have the financial means to support him. But they were sending in a lot of money. Now, you know, there's talk about, again, people within his organization that mismanaged funds. But nonetheless, uh, his vision and, and what he manifested is the greatest economic uh, movement in the history of black people. Uh, also, uh, he was an advocate for black economic empowerment. And he believed in uh, unity and strength in numbers, which which he proved is a fact. Um, and finally, his son said something very interesting about him. He said uh, his father, uh, Marcus, Dr. Marcus Garvey Jr., said his father instilled pride and dignity in black people. Because uh, during that time... Oh, and, and by the way, he had to drop out of school in Jamaica at the age of 14, okay, because a lot of the restrictive uh, things that they did to black people in Jamaica in the education field. Um, so uh, 
His son said that, that he instilled a lot of pride and dignity, which he did. Okay, and he preached self-reliance. This is another thread that runs through our black prophets. They all preach do for self and self-reliance. Unfortunately, our people have not heeded the, these warnings. And this is one of the areas in which um, we've seen the consequences of not heeding uh, this, these warnings and how they uh, laid a roadmap or a blueprint out for us to follow. Um, the other thing that he did is uh, he united Africa and the black community here in America. And he inspired the hearts and minds of black people worldwide. And finally, he stated that real freedom is not given, which I agree with wholeheartedly. And uh, brilliant man, brilliant brother. We celebrate him today because he certainly, and his spirit is alive today, you know, because of Marcus Garvey. Now, there was the other side we didn't talk about as, as much. Uh, with the um, Pan-Africanism and the um, Black Empowerment Movement, which he certainly um, led. But uh, I chose to focus more on his vision as a uh, Black economist and, uh, you know, somebody who showed, again, our people, I can't say this enough, what is possible. Okay, brother, you can show that picture of Marvin Gaye. We want to Yes, that's one of my favorite pictures there. And, you know, um, I, I remember this time, I think me and you had talked about this before, Lance, how um, those videos that Marvin Gaye made about, you know, police brutality in the streets, the drugs coming into our community, um, what's happening to our people, what's going on. And he, and he also was a visionary in the sense that he saw um, the pollution of the uh Climate, the water with uh, Mercy, Mercy Me. You talked yep. about nature and ecology. And so this is a very prophetic brother. He, you know, he had a lot of personal demons. I, I enjoyed uh, reading his book decades ago uh, called uh, Divided Soul. That is one of the most uh, engaging books I have ever read on, in a, on a person's personal life. You know what I mean? So he, the other thing, too, is growing up in Washington, D.C., at that time, the black community was under siege. Okay, there was a lot of yep. uh, drugs being moved in and out, you know, up the East Coast, New York, back down, uh, D.C., you know, in the Baltimore area. There was a lot of things going on. And uh, Marvin was right in the thick of it. And uh, the um, the songs like uh, let's see, songs like uh, yeah, what's going on? Mercy, mercy, me. Uh, what's happening, brother? One of my favorite. Me wanna and, uh, yeah, me wanna <laughs> me wanna holla. Uh, he and, and he spoke directly to the ills in our society, but he also had the uncanny ability too with songs like sexual healing. Yes. Which was uh, to liberate. He had a liberating type of uh, aura about him or element. But you know, as I said, in in the end, uh, um, this musical prophet and giant that we celebrate today, black prophet, his personal demons got the best of him. Great brother, Marvin was a great brother. 
But uh, all of his, uh, the prophecies and his music are manifesting today again. Um, but you know, and so this it, is it's, huh? it's funny because no, I was just saying. You know, it's funny because those great artists, people in general, who I have to pick my words carefully. They had the uncanny ability to. It's like when you put a net out into the water as a fisherman and you're on a boat. Mm, mm, okay. He can pull in in a very special way the sen- the sediment of that time. Yes. Spit it back yes. in a timeless way that even when you listen to it in the future, it's relevant. And even if things got better in our community and all over the world, you would still understand where he was coming from because he put so much feeling and essence into what he did. But when you throw out a net to get the fish that are plentiful in that area, you also pull in some crabs, hence the demons that you fight with. Mm, yes, yes. I like that. I like that. So connected yeah. in a divine way to see a vision as if you're above looking down overall at everything while other people are in it and suffering and can't see. But when you have that gift, physically yeah. like you're a drone guy looking down yeah. on the happenings of the world, there's a trade-off with that where because the floodgates of your divine gift are open, other things can come in. You see what I mean? Yes. Agreed. Yes. To your home that may need you, but you also may let a few mosquitoes in that possessed malaria that might kill you later on. So yes. just like a boxing match where it's a classic, timeless match, and right after it's mm-hmm. over, you know it. They've mm-hmm. given you a performance for the ages. It also took years off their life as a really in Manila because it, yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that you're absolutely spot on with that, brother. And Marvin, uh, man, he just had that aura about him, you know. But the other thing too is he embodied the struggles that black men had during that time, or still have. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, with all of the ills that were in, that are in our um, communities, all the things that we have to fight against, um, you know, and again, he was a victim of these uh, social ills, you know, but um, the one thing he did is he addressed them spot on through his music. Um, the other thing about his music was it, it had a sense of urgency to it, too, like in his voice, right? It yes. was almost like uh, he was crying out, saying, the pain. you know. The pain. The pain, yes, the pain. The conclusion, yes. he manifested it, and people, in actuality, when they heard the music, even though it was pain and the confusion and how he didn't know and maybe want to holler and what's going on, it soothed them because they saw somebody who was in the mainstream that can cross over. He wasn't trying to. That's but true. The people felt the pain of black people through what he shared to the world. And we don't know That's right. how effective it was. We know it was effective. But how effective it was 
and making others who didn't understand what we went through understand a little more. And that's the work of great artists, to go beyond your people. And the world can understand by your artistry, whether it's a song, whether it's playing the blues, whether it's a painting or a sketch, whether you're a comedian, you can make them laugh like Paul Mooney and make them understand what you've been through. And, and usually the trade-off for stepping into that, onto that throne is that you're going to endure in a separate part of your life some great pain, whether the world knows yeah. it or not. There's always You're absolutely correct. Brother. When you give of yourself to the world, you actually offer yourself as a sacrifice, and yes. in that sacrifice, there's yes. great pain. But I do yes, believe it's reward with that on the next levels. Oh yeah, no question. And you know, um, you, bro, you're spot on again with that. But the the other thing too about uh, Marvin was that he um, always. Sort of like saw his own demise, just like uh, Martin Luther King did. Yeah, the speech he gave before he, you know, the mountaintop speech. But Marvin had this. Everybody that knew him always talked about his fear of being killed. He never thought in a million years would be by his father, his own father. But uh, and then he was dealing with the issues where his father was a minister and a cross dresser. And then there was the dynamic of Marvin's mother um, being in between Marvin Senior and Marvin Junior for their affection. You know how that dynamic can play out in a family. Yes. And the father was jealous of Marvin because Marvin was the real breadwinner. Right. So his right. manhood was, you know, his son was basically taking care of him. And then because of that position in the family, um, Marvin Sr. was very jealous of his own son. But the, um, the other thing, too, I wanted to point out is that this is the reason why the our young people who have conscious music and, and the same spirit as Marvin, why they're blocked and why they let the ones that are uh, spitting out this garbage and trash against exactly. this death and destruction against our people, they'll pay them an astronomical amount of fiat. And then it, it's, it's too late. <laughs> like when you find out, you open the door and all the, the poisonous snakes rush in. It's too late then. But, but, but this is the script that has been played out us over and over and over and we don't seem to catch on listen if I was someone who had that influence mm -hmm. I would work for my people and take less than what these big entertainment firms would offer because I can do what I want I can speak mm -hmm. directly to them and even if it was much less I would be happy because I would be fulfilling directly what it is I'm supposed to fulfill. But mm -hmm. greed takes over so much, and these people don't understand that they may get these deals, but it's short-lived. Only very few, oh, yeah. like a Jay-Z and Beyonce, we know that they're right. in. We know right. other ones are in. Yeah. But what's that when this life is so short when you do the wrong thing? 
Look, what's the difference right now? Mm-hmm. For most of us who are on this show in the chat room and watching, what's the difference right now? Now, we know there's a big difference, but what's the difference right now between a million dollars and $100 million? There's a saturation point that comes where it's diminishing returns. You don't feel it after a while. You right. see what I mean? So why can't I? I'm not saying I have to be a million, but if I had... 200,000, 150,000, 100,000 in a little home that was paid for and and 24 hours around the clock where Mm -hmm. I know my home is paid for, I don't have those bills, and I could put out good content 24-7 daily. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. people have to really dole out all of this money. As long as I'm taking care of how much food can I eat? How many shoes can I wear? How many cars can I drive? If you're a true artist, let me tell you something. You're a student of the game and and you're in love with the craft and the people and the connection. That's the real thing. You see what I mean? So there's nothing they can offer me. We can give you more millions and more millions. But you take away my freedom to speak to my people. I don't care about the rest. I do care about the planet, but I don't care about the oppressors and people that don't care about me. Let me uplift my people. Let me be a servant for them. You see what I mean? As long as I'm taken care of, like that little pastor who doesn't have the big church like the the mega church, he has a Corolla that works. He has a little home that he lives in. He's happy. He can go to the hospital. So all the people who may be there and talk to the couples that have marriage issues, serve his purpose in his community, and be a happy man. I wouldn't need no more than that. Sorry about that, brother. But go ahead. No. No, that, that is great because uh, that, that is definitely what the difference is today. When, when you look back at our prophets we're talking about today and the times in which they lived and the message, that they all warned us, okay, they, they all, go, I, I remember um, something Medgar ever said that he, when he spoke to this group of uh, black people for the first time, he said, if you don't, if you are not passionate enough to learn how to read and write, you'll always be a sharecropper. And that was something that stuck with me for a long time. And so, you know, if when we look back at each one of these prophets, uh, uh, Martin Luther, I mean, Malcolm, who got me all teary-eyed today, uh, when we look at uh, Marcus Garvey, certainly, and Malcolm, uh, we see this, that their warning to us is, if you don't do anything, nothing will ever be done. And and they they understood why I said they understood the divine laws and natural laws because this is the law of thermodynamics. Okay, if you don't put anything in motion, if there is no fire put into an environment, then it will stay in a state of inertia. Okay, and 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 there actually there is nothing called cold. Cold is just the absence of heat because we see this when um, the uh, atoms actually, uh, the ions actually, uh, excuse me, they are the ones that fire up everything, that living fire. So that, that is consistent in nature. And so they, they also had this element of fire 
And you can see this by their passion in their daily lives, like you, Lance. They had this fire, okay? And uh, this fire was undeniable. <laughs> I mean, it, whenever you were in the presence of one of these brothers, you knew you were in the presence of something great. Right? You know, it, but, you know, again, our people are taught to look at our black men, these black prophets, and compare them to these uh, false narratives about religious prophets and a, a message about something. No. We have our prophets who walk amongst us. I'm not talking about people they were writing about a thousand years ago or however long it was ago, 1800 years or what have you. We have our prophets walking amongst us right now. They have, and they've left a tremendous message. The problem is we're not teaching our children these messages, who these people are. I guarantee you, you can show all of these pictures that I, I just showed, and maybe 30% of our children could identify all five of them. Maybe. But you can put all of these rappers that they uh, use for self-destroying our community, self-destruction, okay? You, you can put their pictures up in front of our children and 95%, close to 100%, will know every, each one of them, know their songs. Now, where does this come from? This comes from not only, so if you, if you play songs in your home, and then they hear those same songs out in public, then that's when um, they're going to be synced into that negative behavior. But if you're playing inspirational songs like you should be in your home, and then they go out in the environment, then now you have the law of polarity on your side because they're going to be affected by you and they're going to be affected or the nature-nurture controversy by their environment. So in other words, it's what you play and they hear in the home with you that they give value to. Um, and finally, I just wanted to say about, uh, the other thing about Marvin is he, he wore his heart on, you know, on his shoulders. He, he was a, a real man. He, he was not afraid to, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember I saw this concert where Marvin broke down. Okay. And, uh, it was over an incident. I forgot exactly what it was, but it was something that happened in that city that he was performing naturally against black folks. And Marvin was singing a song and he broke down and they, and they stopped for a minute and he came back on. And he apologized. They stood up, gave him a standing ovation. And Marvin said, look, we still have to learn to love and reject hate. And so he had a giant of a spirit. You know what I mean? He, he was that type of brother. And he deserves our uh, props today. So, uh, brother, you can put up the star of the show. So what I'm going to do is... uh. I'm going to take a break real quick before I go into Martin. I'm going to let you use your gift. <laughs> give, me a, give me a couple of minutes. 
<laughs> sure, take your time, yeah. brother. Yeah, you know how that goes. You know, Michael Machine, you just push the button and shut me up when you're ready. <laughs> okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I just want to say that it's good that we're looking at this whole situation in this particular time. And we, we know uh, when Black History Month comes and it's the shortest month and you know, as a precursor before that, we have the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King. And all in this time period, this is what, you know, not only what uh, the powers that be us, we are just sitting ducks and just there to be allowed. But the bottom line is that we've, we've allowed this to happen. We need to celebrate our prophets year-round, daily. And we don't do that. And that's our fault. So we should never complain about February being the shortest month. Let them complain about we gave them this, but they ignore it. And it's about keeping the spiritual frequency going. Because while many of us will speak through religion and say, well, it's this way or that way, the bottom line, we really don't know, but we know it's something. Because we can feel it. You see, when we have members of our family transition, you can feel it. Aside from the emotions of missing them and say, wow, you know, my grandmother was sitting there last week talking to me and she's gone now. She's not really gone. We know that in time. But we don't know exactly how it goes. So like I say, no matter what, when you have a loved one that transitions, wherever they are, they love you and you're here and you love them. And that transcends whatever barrier of understanding as to how things go on exactly. We as a people, we hear music. And the music that comes from someone like a Marvin Gaye and other artists who really understand and can convey. It doesn't just have to be R&B. It doesn't have to be just rap. It doesn't have to be just the blues. But it's something that brings us together as a people that other people don't have. And for all the others who are watching, you might say, I'm throwing off on you. If you don't understand it, I'm sorry. It's not my job to explain. But I've never seen people who don't know each other. Let's just make up a quick scenario. So you can take a few minutes more of a break. Say oh, I'm good. from someone else Go is ahead, from bro. Florida. Someone else is from California, Detroit, Pennsylvania, Chicago, and we all meet up in this club. A social club where there's no violence, there's mature people. In Mississippi. And none of us know each other. And the music begins to play. Music that we all know. And it's something that touches each and every one of us. And all of a sudden, a sense of unity through what we've all gone through collectively, while not knowing each other, that it touches us where tears come down and we see each other. We nod our head, the pain, the emotion, and we realize in that moment, no matter what, that one person over there could be a cokehead, the next one is an alcoholic. The next one's a womanizer. Whatever they may be. But they come out of that. 
Because the things that we are involved in are in reaction to a lot of the stuff that we've had to endure the moment we step foot into this world. Yeah. I've never seen any other race of people react to the music that way, the arts that way. When we see a little child speak in a gathering with feeling beyond her years, it's a beautiful thing. And that shows our spiritual depth. That there's an envy because of that. It's an intangible that other people don't have. Like the person who might be five foot two watching a basketball game wishing they can slam dunk like Michael Jordan. You have to appreciate it. But these other people hate the fact that they can't take that. They can emulate it by getting a Brazilian butt lift on a physical level. They can emulate it by getting one of their own and sweetening the sound of the studio Try to sound like one of us, but nothing beats our sisters when they built out a tune with no microphone, no electronic enhancement, and you can feel it, and it leaves you in silence. See, we're a special people, and we're reminded by others who want the mind control over us that we are not. This is why they put out the imagery of machinery, the imagery of whoredom. That's right. The imagery of no expectations. As long as we can exist and fit in for the contract and the money, they're all right with us. They might keep us on a little longer. And the decadence is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. But at the same time, knowing that nature is perfectly balanced, there are some of us out here like Brother Neil Frazier who is going to bring it up higher and higher and higher. And we're going to win. Even if we're not around. We're going to win. I sit here behind my computer day in and day out, day in and day out. This is what I do, and I see it every single day. But nobody wants me to be heard or Brother Neil to be heard or any of the guests that come on and family that comes on because we are in a war. And when you're in a war, you know there's a possibility that you must and probably will give your life. So don't even front like you're in the war for a season to get a photo out because you want to vote. Whether the people mm-hmm. watching you or not, you better be about it. And like they say in the street, you better be about that life. For the new phrase, life, I'm glad to be here every Monday with you. And I'll let you have the floor. So much. Okay. You know, you should have a collection plate to pass around because, you know, this is the type of teachers that we need, man. Seriously. You know, rather than giving them folks all our money, our people giving them all our money, and, and you know, I don't even want to get into that. But uh, anyway, bro, you're so right, man. It's everything that uh, these prophets brought to light is still here. I mean, and and in many cases, it's gotten deeper, as you were saying. But then that speaks to our inertia. That speaks to our, it goes back to one of the questions uh, I asked in the beginning. Uh, well, I, I, let me go back over these before we get into the dreamer. Uh, but yeah, so these questions, what is a prophet and why are they sent to us? Okay. So we haven't heeded their warnings. What is their message to us? Self-reliance. 
And, and, and what does it mean? It means that if you don't do anything for yourself, you're going to get smashed. Prophets also sacrifice their lives to bring us their message. Why are prophets necessary? They're necessary because if they don't exist, then the people perish because of lack of vision. Their message is always specific to a people and their struggle at a specific time. Okay. And more importantly, what happens when we fail to heed their warnings? Well, we, if we look at our current condition, uh, we're in the same fundamental position economically that we've been in this country for centuries. And we still have the same fundamental relationship with those individuals that control. And, and you know, I, I agree. Had we heeded just some of what Marcus Garvey showed us we, and Malcolm, we, we would be in a different situation right now. I know we would be. Uh, the special characteristics that they possess, we know, like we were just talking about Marvin, it's just uncanny. See, you know, whenever he came out with a song, it was always on point. Um, it always had a, a deeper meaning and message to it. Um, but we know, we, we also know that they are rejected by the system. Uh, for our people to look at them some kind of way, so that uh, we won't heed their uh, warnings. So you can put the dreamer up there. We, uh, we, we know that today we celebrate Martin Luther King's uh, birthday as a federal holiday, but at the same time, this is not the day he was born. So um, one... I'll give a brief bio of Martin Luther King. Uh, known as the man that led the civil rights movements from its infancy, uh, MLK Jr., as he was known, lived an extraordinary life. I don't know why I have to read my own words, but at the time when I'm writing them, it has the right, you know, sound to it. Uh, he lived an extraordinary life, born during an era when black people were denied basic human dignity. And, you know, why, why are you calling these people civil rights? Human rights. This is what, because when you say civil right, that means that you're going beneath the human right. Forget civil rights or American rights. We're talking about basic human rights. And so he was a human rights activist, not a civil rights. And, and a lot of times these narratives, we just let them control everything we do and say. Uh, but he was born during an era when black people were denied basic human dignity. But he would go on to become one of the great men in the 20th century. Uh, following in the footsteps of his father, uh, he became a pastor and a great orator that lit a fire in the souls of black folks. Uh, and not only in the souls of black folks, but in the souls of a nation. I think more than not think, but I think it would be a fair statement to say that Martin Luther King is one of maybe 
five men that I can think of in history right now, just off the top of my head, that actually turned a nation around from the course it was going. Uh, you know, people question his moral character, his, you know, ethical character. Well, they never questioned his ethical Mainly they tried to degrade him long after he was um, gone, uh, his moral character, which doesn't, you know, first of all, again, these are men, okay? So if we, if we use, uh, the, if we weighed your behavior under the uh, laws of Mayotte, we know that you would come up way short. So, uh, Brother Martin Luther King, um, our people love this man, still do to this day. But it's interesting that there's more said and celebrated by him than Malcolm, who to me was just as effective, okay, if not more. But uh, again, because of the type of system, religious and educational system we live in, he was less of a threat, okay? Um, so his accomplishments are well documented in history. I don't have to go through those. The big one he's known for the Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, certainly there were uh, many others. A sacrifice going to prison, doing put his life on the line, and lived also, as Medgar Evers, lived under constant threat of death every day. Um, but he was loved by his people. He was uh, at the forefront of the fight for not just human rights, but economic rights as well, this struggle. And, and this ultimately cost him his life, uh, which wasn't the main reason, of course. There were other things, speaking out against the war in Vietnam and calling it for what it is. Um, also recognizing that, um, you know, when you are looking at people that profess, profess, profess one thing, but are doing something totally different, then at some point you're going to have to say, okay, look, I'm lying to myself. Okay. Uh, but. Also, uh, with his battle cry song, We Shall Overcome, uh, this modern day prophet will be forever in the hearts and minds of our people. Now, you know, uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of things we could, we could talk about and cover about Martin Luther King. Um, but I just want to point out three things that Sometimes people overlook, because again, we have this uh, pseudo false religious character that we've created for people, which doesn't exist, because if, if you could be behind closed doors for a lot of these people, uh, you would see differently. But at the same time, um, this is not what we judge ultimately a man like Martin Luther King by. Uh, so the first thing we look at is the fact that he was a prophet. And not just for that time, but for this time as well. Because when you go back and listen to his speeches, uh, some of his sermons, uh, and he didn't put no cut on it. it he went straight like a surgeon to, to the pain. Um, he had to. Because any 
anything less would not have, it, it just wouldn't have worked. Um, the second thing about him is that he was willing to take a risk in order to bring about a change. Okay. He was willing, again, like all of our great prophets, to sacrifice his life for his people. So, you know, people always talk about people sacrificing their lives for us, but uh, uh, the people I see that sacrifice their lives for us, uh, they walked amongst the people and they loved them, regardless of what their faults were as men. Uh, certainly there were women, too. Today I, I chose to deal with the brothers because our, our brothers are under attack constantly. And, and, you know, I often ask myself, why is it? There are people that have everything, that has a hundred times the wealth that our people have, have all the resources, have uh, controlled the narratives of everything that we know, have our people under a religious spell. Why is it that these people are still fearful of us? That is an incredible, when you think about that, that is incredible. Why are black men still a threat to this system? That is a question that we really need to bring to the forefront that I'd like to hear some dialogue on because this has got to be ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Martin Luther King, that was the second thing. He knew, again, he lived his life under constant threat. Then when the uh, alphabet boys began to do the same thing to him that they did to Malcolm and Medgar, okay, and Martus, our black prophets, the intimidation, um, the loss of privacy, which we all have a right to, we know that don't exist, didn't exist back then. And then the straight fear, okay, and this might uh, be an answer to the question I just posed. Martin Luther King was a man they feared, okay? They didn't make no bones about it. And, uh, you know, you could just hear, even today when you play one of his speeches, I remember the first time, I, I remember the day he got killed. And I remember our people's response. And I remember, you know, my dad and all of them and all of us having to go to church. And, and, and black people just getting out and rioting. And, and, I, and I just remember what the spirit of that was. And then whenever you hear Martin Luther King, even today, this was a man that touched the souls of black folk. Not only black folk, but incredibly, he touched the soul of white people, which was hard to do. Okay. Or I should say, touched the uh, uh, something, mine. Okay. So this man, uh, when he died, the whole world was in sorrow. The whole world was in pain when this man was assassinated. But what he also showed, oh, yeah, here's the third thing that um, that was very important. And, and sometimes I remember I was at a forum and, you know, I said this and some people got upset. But see, our people don't like to deal with truth because we've been raised on narratives. Again, Martin Luther King is a great man was a great man. But 
if they didn't have that Montgomery boycott, they didn't give a damn about how much he preached. And they blew up the, the uh, kill the four little girls. They didn't care nothing about that. But when they affected that fiat at the level they did, and black people decided we ain't riding no damn buses, okay, we're not doing nothing until this oppressive system is dismantled. And then you had somebody with the courage of a Dr. King to, just like I was saying, if you have a game plan but you don't have a point guard to initiate it, you don't have a problem. So our people had a great leader in Dr. King that was not afraid of the system, even though he knew ultimately and in, in that uh, speech he gave, that mountaintop speech, it's still to this day one of the greatest speeches and sermons ever given. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the one that he did on the National Monument. But it it was, now, now that was more for the nation. But that speech he gave uh, that night in Memphis, he knew that the powers that be were going to come after him. He knew this. But yet here's a man standing in the face of this type of hate, refusing to back down, saying that my, his eyes had seen the glory, okay, of the coming of the Lord, whatever he meant by that. Uh, and I go back and I examine, you know, he, he was, uh, Martin Luther King was a Christian preacher. But now Martin Luther King started finding out things. This is why they took him out. That made him challenge some of these scriptures that they use on our people. Okay. So at the end of the day, you know, you know, I, I don't know. They may show a documentary about him later or talk about him. But they don't talk about the real effect of his prophecy on this nation. Okay. Because what people forget is there's always a law of polarity in effect. So there are two outcomes when something is put forward. One of the main things that religion has done to our people is uh, keep us in a box that we can't think of. When we are actually 720 degree beings, when you figure in the metaphysical aspect that we have, like the Dogon, okay? But at the least, we're 360 degrees. Well, like the rat in the box, we've been regulated to a 90-degree way of seeing the world. So once Dr. King came out of that box, that was the beginning and the end for him. Because now they, that 90-degree narrative that they had him constricted by no longer applied. They could, and, and I remember, uh, I don't remember who it was. But I remember one of these government officials uh, trying to trying to reach uh, President Johnson to talk to him. And uh, I saw it on one of these shows. And uh, uh, so President Johnson said, well, the cat's out the bag now. It's nothing we can do. Now, I often question what he meant by that. And I believe, because they were talking about the, uh, Martin Luther King, okay, I believe that 
what Martin Luther King knew and discovered was something that they wasn't willing to face. Just like today, they, they don't want to face the truth. Uh, like we always say, why haven't you repented? You know, so just to kind of wind this down, brother, um, you know, this is, this is a, whenever yes. one of our black prophets and our giants whom we love, make no mistake about, I don't care what these people say or what they have dug up about their past. Oh, yeah. They, he was, uh, doing ducks with these women. Okay. So what? Let's, let's see what you have done. But we can see the fruits of that. All we got to do is look at the, the wholesale rape of our women and see the fruits of that. So you can try to demonize Dr. King all you want. It won't work. Black people love Dr. King. I don't care what you say about him. What he did for our people forever changed the destiny of our people, not just in this country, but around the world. Dr. King is revered. His picture, uh, I think I heard this one time along with, with uh, Muhammad Ali, is one of the most recognized faces of pictures in the world. So we celebrate him today along with our other uh, great black prophets. And uh, I think I'll end with that, Brother Lance. So, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I the way I look at it, is that it's up to us to celebrate our people. Why is it that we have to look to Netflix, HBO, some kind of something that these people have written a narrative about our people? Um, you know, and this is why they get so upset when people like you and I and other people in the chat room deal with real history and a real, you know, what is really going on. Um, is because... They spend so much time on propaganda and narratives trying to refute the truth. This is another thing, too, is that someone that really loves the creator, creative spirit, even if they're wrong, they're at least able to admit it. And so, you know, it is what it is, uh, but we're going to continue to bring our people, uh, our social justice warriors and black prophets to the forefront of the world, whether you put it in your history books or not. So, Brother Lance, I got to get out of here. I hope you're around. Yes, my brother. Oh, time spent. Yes, sir. And, and yes, sir. This, this whole uh, teaching tonight went by. It felt like 20 minutes. But, I mean, it, 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 it got the way It went by so fast, brother, because you just... Yeah. Your feet is so smooth. We absorbed this. <laughs> Hour and 43 minutes. We started late. So we're good. Wow. But I, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. But I just wanted to say I'll see you in two days when next <laughs> Monday comes. Yeah. Because <laughs> the world is not so fast. You know, we, uh, we, we, can, we have different ways we'll communicate because we know what uh, – the game is being yes. played now without putting it on record. But, uh, yeah, brother, uh, as always, man, thank you for, um, you know, everything you do, for the content, the people that you allow to come on. Um, one of the other things we, we have to also, um, you know, get around is that 
each one of us have a perspective that has been given to us that uh, we have the right to express. So while I yes. disagree with some, with, you know, uh, this is one of the problems that black folks have more than anybody else. Okay, I may not agree, but why should that be an impetus for us seeing it? Like, you got all of these, and this is the last thing I'll say about religion. Like, you got over 3,000 churches, but all of them trying to operate independently. You, If you go to a Yiddish community, they got one place where all of them go, all the money go to. You go to a Chinese place, that big one right up here, all of them go there, they put their money there. The Arabs got one, the Indian, you know, I don't get why we already have the the organization, organizational, excuse me, structure. Let me drink some water. Organizational structure. There you go. Right. Mm. Exactly. You're right, though. So, yeah, it's we, already. We will fight hard against someone who comes down a different path but brings positivity. And bring a good feel. Yes. We can't we can't assess a person because of the past they came. You see no, what I mean? You can't. And it resonates with the people they're supposed to resonate with. That is what's important. Ooh, there you go. That is what is important. Because uh, each one of us have a feel of energy that only we can affect. Yes. And, and there are people that need to hear one thing about this is the other thing that we fail to realize. So a brother like you with the Nibiru spirit, you draw all, I think I told you this before, you draw the rivers, your ocean. So, you know, each one of these rivers come from a different source. Right, right. But they all ha are coming to that ocean because that allows then everything to go out from there. So we go. have got to get from beyond we have got to get beyond this childish mentality that, is, that continues to hold us back. And another thing, too, a lot of people get mad. There is no one truth, okay? There is no one truth. So we get caught up into this, well, how do we know there's a truth? It's your own truth. You're a universe <laughs> unto yourself. So whatever you put out in the world, that is the truth for you. Yes. Because it's going to bring the karma back, and you'll find out if, it, if it's truth or not. Because it's going to bring, <laughs> you know, whatever you put out there, the find karma out. is going to come. Oh, you're going to find out at some point. Quickly, <laughs> <laughs> brother, I was on the van sitting way in the back, the commuter van. Uh huh. And I just sucked it in my throat. And not to be lewd, but I, you know, I, I, I spit into the air, nobody was around. <laughs> and I put it out in the universe. But the wind okay. quickly put it back right in my face. <laughs> so, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> That's you know, you got you got I, an immediate karma, huh? That's the analogy. You got an immediate karma, huh? Exactly. Yeah, I thought you I was clear my throat. But yes, brother, oh, we, we wow. do that. We got to learn to be that, yeah. Because we're focusing on micromanaging different things that we don't need to yeah. manage. There's yeah. So many things exactly. to truth. If you if you talk about the number five, there's four plus one. There's six minus one. Bingo. There's two, three. There's Bingo. negative one plus six. 
There you go. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. The numbers, I mean, all you got to do is look at it, and nature explains and tells you everything. Just like what you just explained. So what we're going to do, eliminate uh, the uh, numbers in nature? Because that is where <laughs> we get our real knowledge from. <laughs> That's really so yeah, brother Lance, I better get out of here. Indeed. Bonus beats, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to next Monday. Thank you so much. Hit me up. Yes, sir. Hit Thank you, brother email. Lance. I will. Okay, brother. Peace and love. Hit me on the email, okay? Okay, I will. Thank you so Peace much. Peace and love, brother. Thank you. you. Brother, thank you. I'll see you next okay. week. Peace. Okay. Yes. Wow. What a spectacular show. I thank Brother Neil for the input. He's a very busy man. You, you all don't realize how busy he is. But he takes the time to relax, and he has to meditate on these things all week and bring it in a unique way, and that's why I appreciate him so much. But he's right. He's right. He's right. Look, if I have a northern accent because I'm from New York City, and someone has a southern accent because they're from Alabama or Georgia, does that mean that the way they speak is not effective? If I don't think beyond the boundaries of the state that I was born and raised in, I would be dismissive of a person who has a different accent because it's different. Now, people don't understand that. And I'm going to say it here officially. My role as a host of a show, and we're going to have a great show on Wednesday, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It'll be 6 o'clock for me. You don't want to miss it. I haven't created a link yet, but you know how that goes. It will be here. But my role as the host of a show, and again, I'm not putting myself on some kind of pedestal. I'm just saying my way of protocol. If I have a guest who is bringing something strong, but they themselves have a different philosophical or ideological way of thinking because they came a different way. But they're getting to a certain point of upliftment. How are you going to reject that? See, there was a spot in Richmond Hill, Queens that, you know, anybody can boil rice at home and put a few seasonings in it and make it taste good, but this rice, for some reason tasted so good. And I was with a friend of mine. He said, hey, man, you got to taste this rice. I said, man, I don't want no rice. I don't want no rice. I'm not even hungry. Said, no, 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 just taste a little bit of it. I said, okay, okay, just to shut you up, because you've been telling me about this rice for the longest time. It's probably nasty, but I'll eat it. I'll take a scoopful just because you said so. So we went there. He was going to do a takeout, but I had time to kill him. I said, well, listen, let's just sit down, chit-chat a little bit. So he got his order, and he actually got a separate order for me. And I said, man, you didn't have to pay for that. You could have gave me a scoop with a different spoon, and I would have tasted it and told you how nasty it was, and we'll move on. <laughs> well, he knew why he gave me a separate, a little cup, a little small cup, probably about maybe two inches high and three inches wide, which was too big for me, the way I was thinking. 
So he started eating, and he says, well, you're not going to try it? I said, yeah, I'm going to try it, man. You know, stop bugging me. We're friends. We talk like that. So I finally, you know, dipped in and probably got, honestly, maybe like about maybe 10 grains of rice because it also had peas in there. And for some reason, growing up, I never liked peas and rice. I can like the peas by itself. I can like the rice by itself. But I never like the peas and rice. I think it was because when I was a child, I was at somebody's house with my parents and somebody had peas and rice and a roach jumped in it. I'm thinking the peas are roaches. So I just never wanted peas and rice. I would eat them separate. So I put these 10 grains of rice in my mouth and I couldn't believe that rice could taste like this. And his eyes were affixed on my face. And I gave him an angry expression because he was right. And I was pissed off that he was right. I said, man, <laughs> I got to get a separate order of this and I got to take it home. And not only that, that was the first time I had peas and rice because there were peas in there. And I started to use the spoon to flick them to the side because I didn't want to eat them. I couldn't eat both because of that memory in my head. So what I'm trying to say is that. If you eat a different type of food or cuisine, I can't be angry with you. I'm in Ghana. Without asking every daggone plate of food they give you in the local restaurants, got so much spices and hot sauce. I mean, it makes my eyes want to cry and tears come even when a plate is near me. But that's what they do. I'm in their country, which I have a connection to. So when I do go somewhere that I trust, I say, listen, please, nothing hot. And sometimes they still do it. What I mean to say is that we have different people with different tastes. They come different ways. They have different experiences. And it may be where what they present and the way they present it may not be the ultimate dish for you. It may not be your favorite cuisine, but after they come down the road all the way down to deliver their message, what is it about the core message that they're giving to you? You might not like the packaging it comes in. If you listen to some of the older shows that I've done, You'll see that I've talked to so many different types of people, and we have people who were sometimes regulars. They would say, wait a second, Lance. You had that white man on, and he didn't say the N-word. He didn't insult you. But what he stood for, how would you have him on the show? I said, you have to be able to absorb and see how other people think. When you're at war... You want to get the intel on the enemy. You want to intercept their signals of communication to figure out what their next move is. That's what's an enemy. But because we've been chopped and screwed and sliced and diced as melanated people all over the world and especially in America, we have no time to sit up and invite someone over to sit down and talk and immediately reject them because they have a few peas that they may not like in their rice. And if you listen, really listen, 
past the names they may call, past the way they dish out the food on the plate, you'll find that you can walk away elevated because that's what they specialize in. See, you can get mechanics that specialize in Mercedes-Benz. You can get mechanics that specialize in Volvos and Audis and Chevys and Hondas and all different types of cars. And they understand how cars work. And they're probably a lot better than me if they had to go and work on a different type of model because I don't know much about vehicles. I used to change the brakes on my van years ago, and I thought that was a big thing to push your chest out on. But if you take the person who is excellent with the Mercedes-Benz, and for those who love Mercedes-Benz, and they have customer loyalty toward Mercedes-Benz, but they happen to go into a training session that's given by Audi, they may not be able to take all of the information, but they can't cuss out the people at Audi because they come from the Benz mentality. If you don't like it, get up and walk out. Seriously. We've got to be more mature to be able to see beyond the packaging of the person and the way they flavor their message. We're losing out on a lot, y'all. It's a big world out here. Lots of us have the understanding that that's a big world, but we have a little mindset. We have a mindset that is so minuscule that we can't see beyond our own upper lip. And because someone comes a different way who looks like us, we rage against them in the comments section, and I hate this and this. But we know what has been used to brainwash us. But there's always a little bit of good in everything if you can figure it out. I remember being over a friend's house again where a roach jumped in the two plates of food. Well, just one plate. I had a sandwich on one plate, and it was a big, big bowl of spaghetti in the other. And they had bad roaches. I didn't like I used to watch every bit of the preparation on the sly. When this roach jumped on a sandwich, I grabbed the skitty and got up. But if in my immaturity, years before, the roach jumped on the sandwich, I would have threw everything away. And that's the problem. We throw away the baby with the bathwater. And we miss out on so much. You see, but we don't say a damn thing to the other people who really come a different way and who ain't paying your narrow-minded, narrow-minded way of thinking behind any energy, any attention. Because so many of us, if you really look at it, we're born, and I'm referencing America mostly, we're born in America, raised in America. Some of us don't go anywhere. There were some people on my block growing up in New York City, and I couldn't believe the fact that they were born and raised in New York City. Their parents were from the South, but they were born and raised in New York City. And they never went to Manhattan. To go from Queens to Manhattan, and you never went there before, there are people here in Ghana, in Accra, Ghana, that when you go up into the mountains, when you first leave the flatland and go up into the mountains, 
on a clear day, you can see the beach. We've done videos where you can see this in the distance. It is far, but you can see the ocean. And wouldn't you believe that there are people born and raised in Accra or they migrate to Accra where we have a beach and they tell me that they've never been there. That doesn't mean you have to go to every single country in the motherland, 54 countries. But you can't go down the road to the beach? What kind of, and you're young? Don't you have any desire to see what it's like? Old as I am, I want to see things. I want to explore. I want to talk with people who may have different ideologies. I want to see different perspectives. But we have such closed-minded people that want to speak only their brand of righteousness and they reject everything else. Poor, 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 poor. Do you know how many different people in my lifetime that I've spoken to? So many different races. So many different ethnicities. So many different ideologies. Religious backgrounds. Spiritual insight. I can talk with anybody, and that's one of my strong points. And I'll allow people to talk when they're sincere about what their road has been. Because none of us are static where we're going to stay the same way, whether you try to stay the same way or not. You are going to evolve. It's just like when you get arrested. And they say, if you do not have a lawyer, one will be assigned to you. If you don't have it in your mind to evolve, an evolved destiny will be assigned to you. And it might be painful if you can't let go. But don't expect me to be narrow-minded. And like many other shows, they will bring in a guest to talk to their little clique. And then begin to beat up on them because of the differences. Can't we find something in common with our own people? What is it about them who have, are given time on the program to speak? Can't you pick the peas out of the rice and enjoy the rice? Or does it just have to come in one particular packaging for you to absorb it? And if that's the case, you have to wonder to yourself, are you going to miss your ticket to salvation? I'm not talking in a churchified way. I'm only speaking in an overall way. Many of us can get on a show and say we host a show. It's no big thing. You know, back in the day we had TV and, wow, that person over there, David Suskind or Phil Donahue or Tom Snyder or, you know, they're, they're hosts on TV shows. Well, you could just get a free YouTube uh, page and dress it up and call it what you want. My fear is that there's going to be more hosts than there are guests. More people who want to just speak their narrow-minded ideology and not be a conduit to ascend. Take the good and leave what's not usable to you. That's all. I come from a place, and especially in Astoria, Queens, which is not my neighborhood, but it's Queens, New York, that is the most culturally diverse place on the planet. New York City is that anyway. So growing up, I had no choice 
to have students, classmates in my class that had strange and funny names. But they weren't strange and funny because I was introduced to those things very young. And yet you have people who migrated to that part of the world that came from small hick towns in the South. And many of them had issues and problems embracing something a little wider. At least know about it. Some of us want to live in a world where we only stick with the things that are familiar to us. And like I said before, how do you know what your favorite food is when you never tried to taste it? Lots of times when you find out what one of your favorite foods are, you rejected it. Somebody tried to introduce it to you, say, I don't want that, that looks nasty. And then when you get a bite, immediately you know, you say to yourself, oh my God, I rejected this for so long, but this thing is good. Let me get a couple of orders to take home. And the friend that introduced it to you, you didn't even tell him that you went back the next day to get even more. How are we going to grow as a people if everything that we come out of, the others re reject? You understand that we've been split up, introduced to different ideologies and had things forced on us, but yet under whatever religious covering we say we may come out of, we have a spiritual being under that like a person who fell through the ice on a lake that couldn't hold up weight when they went out on the lake and they were ice skating and they went to a thin patch of ice and fell into the water. Now they're looking for the place that they fell into and can't find it and possibly drown until that person pulled them out. Well, we're skating on religion. We're skating on ideologies that we're taught. But the Water under it is a spirituality that we all share. It's universal. And so if a person said, well, you know, they're skating over there by the Christian side, or they're skating over there by the Muslim side, and I'm a Muslim, and I don't care about them Christians, so let them drown. Not understanding that under the sheet of ice that we all stand on, it's a common spirituality. That we are before we were split up, but now after the job was done, where we now oftentimes have the labeling of what we were introduced to. Now we reject each other and hate each other for it. I hate this and I hate that. You got time to hate? We have the right to even hate, but is it the best thing? Is it the best thing for us? You can hate for a time what was done to us, yes. I went through some very, very, very angry periods. I cannot even tell you the amount of stories of the racism that I've endured and the comments and the things that I have been held back from. But I'm in a different place right now. Not just because I left the country, wasn't running, but this whole planet is ours. And I can go to whatever part of the planet I want to go to. But my heart is still in the struggle. And now that I'm here on the mountaintop, not just the physical mountaintop, but I am on a mountaintop. I can see further than I did before. And so for those who are still down in the valley, not that it means that I'm better than them. I want to say, hey, 
I, more than anybody else, have endured just as much in the same amount of the same crap that America can dish out. And we need to love on each other more. We need to embrace on each other more. Even if we don't agree all the way, we've been split up. Let's take a family of 12. I'm going to give you an analogy that just popped in my head. You have two parents and you have 10 kids, five brothers and five sisters. And for some reason, and you know in every single state in America they have a different name for the child protective agencies. Maybe the father wasn't treating his daughters right or treating his sons right on an inappropriate level. We'll just say it's that because we're just using this to make an analogy and an example. So the children are all split up. Some of these agencies try to keep some of them together and some of them are ruthless and don't even care. So we have five brothers and five sisters who endured things that they should not have had to endure. But the child protective agencies in that particular state, whatever state you live in, you can make one up. They put them in 10 different households. And after a time now, they have 10 different last names. Can I ask you something? Are they not still brothers and sisters because they had an artificial new last name tacked on to the back of their name that they answer to now? Are they not still related? Are they not still brothers and sisters? You understand where I'm coming from? So some of us have been brought up in Christian households. Some of us are brought up in Islam. Some of us have parents who say that we're Hebrew Israelites. Some of us have parents and those affected our mindset and we say we're atheists. But even with the atheists, in two instances, he will call out the name of God. Oh, God! You want to know what two instances they are? When he knows he's about to have a fatal car collision and when he's approaching a really good orgasm, atheists will call the name of God. Y'all can laugh, that was a joke. But on a serious note, we've been split up. And so now we grab onto the piece of the boat that we have in our hand because the boat fell apart and we don't want to sink if we can't swim. So we hold on to this thing for dear life. And so one person may hold on to the left, the right, the front part, they have the different names. I forgot what they were. And so we say, oh, if I didn't hold on to the left side of the boat, I would have been dead. That is the right part to hold on to. And the next person says, well, that's what you say. But I'm alive because I held on to the right side of the boat. See? So we got to come up out of that. So if a person comes to you and shares things with you, but they're not going to strip themselves of their immediate ideology it doesn't mean that they don't come in a good spirit. It doesn't mean that they come to change you. But relax with your secure in who you are. I remember I was going to school one morning, the High School of Art and Design. This is back in the late 70s. 
And for some reason, probability had it that it was a whole carload of homosexuals on the train, on that particular car that I was on, maybe 95%, maybe. But it was, it was obvious. I don't know if there was some kind of function <laughs> going on in the city. I'm like, what the heck? But I know who I am. And I'm secure in me being a flaming heterosexual. I wasn't bothered by that. Some people who are struggling with things on a secret level, they're oh, get them off, get them away from me. I don't like them people because you don't like what you're thinking. So this is a new year, y'all. And we're going into an evolved direction. I'm going to have funny sometimes shows sprinkled with a little decadence and some jokes. And I'll let you know ahead of time. I say, hey, we're going to have one of them shows tonight. We've been too stressed and we need to laugh. And I'm going to go in, freestyle. And if you don't pick your nose, trust me, boogers will be all over the place by the way you laugh. I'm going to make you laugh. But on a serious note, are we going to close ourselves in? Doesn't mean you have to change. Why are you intimidated? You can learn maybe what your favorite food is or get a nugget of truth from somebody who doesn't have the same belief system. Just lay back and enjoy because I've had so many various and varied and broad experiences in my life as a black man that many people are surprised when I speak of things that I've experienced because I had those kind of parents who exposed me to certain things. I know how that works. I can get angry right now and get a black leather glove and get the beret and get the dark glasses and the boots and the military pants and be the card-carrying member of the Black Panthers of 2024. And you know what? I don't reject that. That is a side of the mosaic on who Lance Curve is. But that's one part of me. That's one part of me. But if I see a child fall down and scrape their knee and cry, I'm not going to say, well, that's a white kid. Let him hurt. Or a car coming down the road fast and that little kid don't see the car coming. And I, I'm put there and I'm not going to snatch that kid out of the way. I know that kid would probably grow up and not look like people that look like me. But right is right and wrong is wrong. There's things that we have to do in our personal lives and we got decisions to make. And if you walk around with the same narrow-minded way of doing things, you're going to miss out on a whole lot. And you will die. And I'm not saying transition. You will die because you cling on to the trauma. A lot of us don't want to let go of the trauma. How is it that I went down to Florida and got into a law enforcement position as a correctional officer after a few years earlier getting beat down to the core by 11 police officers? How can I hate police officers when they're close friends of mine that are close brothers that we've known each other from back in the 70s? How could I hate them now because of what happened to me? I had to have an expanded mindset. Oh, I hated the idea of police. But my struggle was how can I hate my friend who would give his life for me? That had nothing to do with the police. And I'm going to tell you something else that many of you don't know. I'm not going to say the name. That night that I was beat down by those 11 police officers for nothing more than driving a brand new car. My friend, my close friend who was a police officer at the time worked in that precinct 
and his shift was over. And he heard what was going on on the radio and didn't realize it was me. And he was so upset. He said, Lance, I am so sorry if I was there. I don't care how many of them were there on principle. That would not have happened. So we got to take things on an individual basis. We can learn from anything. When I was a child, I used to go and get magazines. I used to love my boxing magazines. I used to love my bodybuilding magazines. I used to love those things. But I would also make sure that I was fanatical. I had an allowance. And I might go and get 10 magazines of the things that I like. But I also, at the suggestion of my parents, is always get something that you don't know about. And look through those magazines. Let them stimulate you. Let, let it sink into your subconscious mind that there's something beyond the things that you like. And maybe you'll learn what your favorite food is. Maybe you'll learn something that may become a hobby that might become a profession. And even if it doesn't, it expands your conversation so that you can mix and meld and blend with more people than just a toxic, narrow, inner circle. Because, believe it or not, when I get around people who are superficial and caught up in just being their category, it bores me. It bores me. And what bores me when I see some of our melanated people rah, rah, rah on the same talking points that they were doing back in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, nothing has changed. But is it the enemy's fault? Or is it our fault for not having any unity? And I'm not going to sit here and try to convince people who are diametrically opposed to uprising to unify. Some of y'all are going to die the way you are. I'm not picking any names out the chat room or anybody specifically, but we know how I'm talking. Some of us are going to die hating their own black people. Well, go ahead. But you're not down with me. And you can hate me, but you're not going to stop me from expanding and evolving. How dare you? I was given this life by my creator at a walk lockstep to the dictates of your toxicity. I'm not here to babysit your ideology. I got my own, which may have some overlap with yours. I'm not denying what I've been through. But at this point in my life, I can't have any limitations. I can't have any boundaries. Let's dissect it all and break it down. Do you know there's certain fruits in the world that you have never seen or heard before? I'm not saying that I know everything. No, I'm finding out. There's certain fruits in South America that don't even make it to America. There's certain fruits in, 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 in Cambodia, in Vietnam, in Bangkok, in different parts of the world that they don't even bring into America. I want to taste those fruits. I want to know what it's like. There's certain things that grow in certain parts of Africa, which most things can grow here, that I never heard about before. I'm like, look at that. I got stuff growing in my backyard that I never knew about. I'm looking right at it, and I'm told, hey, peel this back and take a bite. Like, what is this? What the hell is this? I like this. But if I was narrow-minded, Talking about what I hate because it doesn't fit in with what I have. I like all types of music. 
I like all types of conversation. And the conversation I give to others when they talk with me, they find it very interesting because I'm not closed off. That They see that I do have some commonalities, but there are things we don't have in common. And they can speak to me frankly, and we can have teachable moments and expand. That's how we break down ignorance. We are the ambassadors for our race. And if we're closed-minded, we don't have to go around other, please accept me. No, I'm not with that. I don't want to be bothered with nobody that doesn't want to be bothered with me. So if it's another person of another race who's closed-minded like that, I don't want to be bothered with them. Just the same way I don't want to be bothered with somebody who looks like me and all they can do is hate on themselves, hate on others, if they don't come down a certain road. On that note, right now it's 11-11. That's a special time. They say it's angelic, right? I just wanted to say those words for a little while. And I have something that I'm going to do in a little while. And I have something else I'm going to upload. I'm just working on a banner right now. I'm going to work into the night until nature calls me to close my eyes and get a good rest. The breeze is sweet out here. The crickets, it's weird. In January, I'm hearing crickets and the animals that are out there. It's just beautiful. So I dedicate my life to this, the life that I have left and the years that I put in. And I just want us to uplift you. And for those of us who will unify, let's do that. But for those who have their little hidden agendas behind strange avatars, you don't know who they really are, kick rocks. Kick rocks. And yes, Kwame, you do have Christian fanatical loonies out there. I'm not with that. But, you know, if it's a black man and a black woman and they're trying to convey some type of truth, let me pick out the truth. They can keep the rest because we know what time it is. But we all have something to order. Just like when you have a barbecue or a cookout in your yard and everybody's broke, the paycheck is not going to be there for another three days. I say, okay, you bring the macaroni and cheese, you bring the chicken, you bring the greens, you bring the banana pudding. A little broke kid over there, you want to bring something too, but you don't have much money, so bring a couple of paper plates and plastic forks and spoons. You see what I mean? We got to get to this thing together. We have no energy to turn against each other because of the road that we were exposed to younger coming up or what we have exposed ourselves to and we feel is the truth. The truth and the fact of the matter is <laughs> we have a common enemy. And we don't have any time to sit here and argue on what we call ourselves or what rule we came down and what. The ship is sinking. And we're trying to take our fingers and poke it in the next person's eyes that look like us. But we can take those same fingers and plug the holes up and get to land and then discuss our differences in a peaceful and civil manner. The cornbread and the collard greens. That's right. You know what time it is. That's what it's all about. And so on that note, family, like, share, and subscribe, and all of that good social media talk, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't absorb the words that Brother Neil Frazier has shared. Me, I'm just a janitor. I'm going to make sure it's swept up, make sure the toilet paper's in the bathroom, make sure the garbage cans don't get too full. I'm a servant in this plane to do what it is I'm supposed to do and to get in with no ego involved where I fit in. And that's the honest to create a truth. 
So let me let you all get a break. I'll have some up soon. And um, the journey continues. The work continues. Let's all evolve and be better tomorrow than what we were today. Because we have to have the right mindset to do that. I think it's a shame. You ever been around or away from a person for a couple of years, you move to a different state, different country, different part of the city, and you finally run into them. You might go down the old neighborhood and they're sitting in the same chair. They're talking the same stuff. And they have not grown. That's sad. You weren't put here to be stagnant. Anything that's living was put here to evolve. And even the so-called animals in the wild, that's not wild. There's more organs in this chaos in the man-made engineered world. They're fulfilling their purpose. And what purpose are we fulfilling? I'm not looking to put anybody down here. I'm just saying. We have the brilliance to go after each other, break it down, take time on social media, and, and tear people up. The demolition crew is necessary when you tear things down. But haven't we been tearing each other down enough? What happened to the new structures that are supposed to go up? I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about the children who grow up. And we have an input into their mind that they're better than us. Because we know our idiosyncrasies and we want to keep that away from them. But they hear what we talk about at the kitchen table. They're up at night. We're on the phone. They go by the door and open it up and hear all vile stuff coming out of us, and they absorb this. It's like the lady who was overweight, and her children were overweight, and her sister who lived with them is overweight, and they say, we're not fat, we're just big-boned. Really? No, it's not that you're big-boned. Y'all are eating the same food at the same kitchen in the same refrigerator. A poor diet. But that one who moved away and went to college adopted a different way of eating, was always active, and she comes back slender and slim. And now you're looking at each other, who you think you are, because you got slender. No, stop at the same refrigerator. And if you do, put the right things in it. Let's put the right things in our mind. Let's consciously go against the impulsive feeling to tear each other down. And for those who continue to do so, I'm not going to say I don't care, I do care, but I cannot focus my energy on that anymore. I'm going to move to a different part of town and build up some nice structures. So if you want to tear it down, don't get mad when I'm living in a better community than you. And I don't mean community as far as house, but a state of mind that's more edifying to make me better every single day. Much love to you all. On to the next one. It's, I love being here. I love being here. Thank you so much. Lansker out. Peace. Much love. Much love.
Why are we called Negroes? Why are we deaf, dumb, and blind? Why is everybody making progress, yet we seem to be lagging so far behind? Why are we mistreated? Why are we in this condition, stripped of our name, our language, our culture, our God, and our religion? Here in America, all of our religious training has been gotten by the preacher. He has told us of a heaven way up in the sky that we can't enjoy now, but rather after we die. But all of the years that we're living, for us there's nothing but hell, pain, torture, and misgiving. Yet the Bible speaks of a heaven filled with material luxury, which the white man and the preacher has right here, so we see. So, my friend, take it for what it's worth. Your heaven and your hell is right here on this earth. So let's check back into history, which rewards all research and tells us plainly that before the white man gained entry to the east, he was living in the caves of Europe, a ravenous beast, eating juniper roots and eating flesh raw, till God sent Moses to civilize him and teach him the law. Then following Marco Polo, an explorer, he gained entry into Asia and Africa. From China, he took silk and gunpowder. From India, he took jute, manganese, and rubber. He raped Africa of her diamonds and her gold. From the Mideast, he took barrels of oil untold. Raping, robbing, and murdering everything in his path. The whole black world has tasted of the white man's wrath. So, my friend, it's not hard to tell. A white man's heaven is a black man's hell. America, we were living in the east, by the Nile River, we were living in luxury, enjoying freedom, justice, and equality, we wore silken robes, it was a gold, we were the wealthiest and the wisest people untold, now we are the poorest of the poor. Nobody wants us at their door So my friend, it's easy to tell White man heaven, black man hell When the white man came to America He told the Indian, I am your white brother He said, red man I'll treat you the best. 
Yet I'm still a push the Indian Further west With his white woman and fire water Tricks and lies he stole America The original owner of this nation Is cooped up on a reservation So my friend it's easy to tell White man heaven, black man hell He needed someone to work the land His back was too weak He needed you black man So he commissioned Sir John Hawkins To commit the worst Most grievous sin To take a man Who's born to be free And bring him down Slavery Sell a man As merchandise On his body Put a price Oh my friend It's easy to sell White man heaven Is a black man hell This matter. Actually, today I, I, I got to meet my friend Lance. Yes, I got to meet my friend Lance. This is my first time meeting him in person, and he's a very kind man, seriously. I do talk with him on phone, like on phone, on WhatsApp, but I've never got to meet him. But today, he's just extraordinary. He's very, like, anything you want to know about life, anything you want to know about, just him on, just like, Anything you want to know about life, please. YouTube, Telegram, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media channels, you got to find him there. He's very inspiring. He's very positive. If you want anything positive about life, please subscribe to Landscape. And then, every day you got to see different videos, different talks, different topics about life. See you.